Welcome to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. Food, sports, God, gardening, church, politics, music, movies, comedy, you name it, we talk about it. I'm Cody Stopper. And this is Craig Morton. On this podcast, we talk to writers, teachers, activists, and we seek some wisdom. And as always, we are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. So one of the things that we want to get out right off the top is Microsoft Sound Mapper. <laughs> remember that for next time. Remember that phrase, all important. So Microsoft Sound Mapper output. Yeah, that sounds like such an important <laughs> thing. Well, what's okay. going on? <clears throat> uh, you know, it's uh, I, I'm in the thick of track season, to tell you the truth. And that that means everything's in a jumble. So as soon as the kind of the, this first week of April comes along. Yes. You know, that that in, so you got two, three track meets a week. You know, we've got some big two day invites going. We've got. Coaches who are having trouble making the demands of their schedule because they don't have as flexible, you know, workplaces as I do. And just like everything's a little jumbled. And then we make a mad sprint until May 21st and then we're done. Oh, that's For a week. incredible. Incredible. <laughs> so just trying to catch my breath. How about you? Ooh. Yeah, no, I've had I've had spring break. I've had parents and sister and niece here for a little bit but also went to portland right before that so and then easter Which, and then i am so this is the least ready i've ever been and i'm usually not that ready at all for, so. for holy week yeah you mm -hmm. know everyone so i so at this this time of year this is my the time of season or the time of year where i i sometimes wish that I were a full-time pastor in kind of a more traditional congregation. Yep. Because then I would tell myself that previous to this week, like probably back right after Christmas, I would have had Holy Week all planned, special services, you know, foot washing on Thursday with, you know, Good Friday, you know, kind of a thing. I'd have it all planned and maybe like a, even like a devotional booklet for my congregation so they could just participate, you know, in some deep and meaningful way. Yep. Now, because I don't have that, I just see other people's posts about these wonderful things they're doing in their congregations and these creative pastors. And mm -hmm. rather than filling me with a sense of uh, admiration and gratitude that there are people like that willing to serve Christ in that way, I just get envious and jealous mm. <laughs> and petty. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. So, petty. Yeah, it's like it's a perfect time of the year to think about just one's one's own shortcomings. That's what that's right. what it's all about. So <laughs> wallow in your wallowing. Yeah. But no, actually trying to find ways to find a meaningful way. You know, for a small church, it's kind of it's a challenge sometimes to do all yep. those things. Yeah. So oh huge. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so many cool um things the big churches or or even churches not even big but even churches that just have certain things 
in their traditions for this type of year, you know, type of moment. Mm -hmm. So they always right. have that stuff ready to go. You know what I mean? So like Orthodox churches, yeah. they always have, you know, oh, yeah, a, a rock solid liturgy <laughs> that's been around for a thousand, mm -hmm. more than a thousand years, 2000 mm -hmm. years almost. So. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so not really yeah. 2000. Well, 1500. I don't know. What was it? 10? Some, something like that. Yeah. I forgot yeah. what year it was. I was thinking it was 2320. It's 2023. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just a little over a thousand. Work. Yeah, so. No, not quite. We're not quite to 2320 yet. And do you know how yeah. I know? Because there are no flying cars. So. And there's no jetpacks. And no jetpacks. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. But we do have so, AI. AI is a thing. So we, oh, man. Have you played around with it? Have you played around with not, chat GPT? Only GTP? just like two things, maybe. Yeah. More but people I, sending me things than me doing anything. <laughs> it's it's a huge conversation in college. Oh, yeah. So would be. Ways to to use it because you you know it's going to get used students google yeah. all the time right yep mm -hmm. so this is kind of the next step of google so mm -hmm. how do we figure out how to use it i tell my students if you're going to use it just tell me what your prompt question was and give it a bibliographic citation that's all i care about <laughs> and just I be honest it. you know yeah. just be honest um <laughs> and then yeah but but uh what a have you have you ever watched american auto uh nbc no. sitcom uh -oh. <laughs> it's it's about it's about this group that's building uh they they work for pain motors and uh it's they, they've got all these concept cars and new ideas and things they roll out and anyway they're they one of their lonely um you know, staff executive staff guy he's a he's a lawyer and he they they set him up on a, a like kind of like on an online relationship and it happens to be uh an ai bot but he doesn't know it and he just oh, falls wow. for this thing. And then they don't have the heart to tell him that, oh no, you've been talking for the last two days to a bot. Aww. And it's, it sounds so sad. It's like, you know, I've never tried the talks talk part for the bots. I've just tried to type it in. So right. it made me think, oh, I think I'm going to start talking to the bots and just see what, you know, maybe develop a new friend. <laughs> That's that, that would be awesome. So. You can make and maybe it, we could it, we could we could interview one as a guest. Ooh, I love it. That'd be so, amazing. Hey, so one of the one of the icebreakers, you know, for for this episode, even though we're breaking ice already, yes, was what do you really <laughs> like about where you live or the region? Right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, what about you? So, I like <clears throat> the region. I'm. I'll go with region. Well, the region is uh, no. I'll stay with right here, right between the right. in the valley. There is, it's a small valley, but there is an incredible amount of love for uh, artistic endeavors in this oh, really? little, little cool. valley. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, for example, the Civic Theater, which I'm a part of, and you know about that, but I mean, they get a ton of support. They have a long history. It's like a, a source of pride for the valley. So that's really cool. And then, but beyond that, even in the high schools, both the music and theater are hugely supported and well you know i won't say well funded because that's attached to state <laughs> you know funding and but i mean well uh promoted and and loved and beloved and cherished by the community so you go so, to but, a, bon a concert you know your kids concerts elementary school or middle school high school and of course all the parents are there but there's always way more than just the parents of the 
of the people there. So it's really cool. Does, so with the valley as it is, does it matter which side of the river river you're on, or is it all kind of all in that together? There's a lot of that all in it together. So back That's and cool. forth between the two high schools amongst themselves, just you know, they'll go to each other's um theater events in particular, you know, and support. And, but I mean, yeah, back both like you use it's just part of your deal here we're buying season tickets for the theater and we're going to buy all the tickets for both the lewiston and the clarkson and they never line up date wise right when i mean they don't uh, compete with each other date wise so that it can all happen it's really cool oh that is cool yeah that is a way to cooperate Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yep 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 and then they um, team up they do team up for a lot of things too that is really interesting because i had not i would i because I, in my mind, that the That's, fact that you're in two different states, oh yeah, seems like a big deal. But it, it sounds like it's not. Yeah, and and not only, I mean, so business, for example, the Chamber of Commerce isn't. It's not that there's a Lewiston Chamber of Commerce and a Clarkston. It's a LC Valley Chamber of Commerce. You know, so even even that spirit of cooperation even exists in the the business world quite a bit too. Um, you know, so that's pretty cool. So I guess beyond just even the arts, it's just that spirit of mostly cooperation. Now, that's not, you know, that's not to say there's not some little bit of rivalry about some things. You know, some some Lewiston folks do make their jokes about Clarkson folks and vice versa, you know, but it's well, that makes sense. But it's I kind mean, of good naturedly, you know. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so what do you like about the, the uh, Boise or are you going to focus on the area? What are you going to? Well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you're, ma- you're making me struggle to think about things about my own local area. That I mean, I'm sure there's, there's lots of things I appreciate: the ease of getting around. Oh yeah. You know the, 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 you know, my, my connection to high school sports and yep. you know all that kind of stuff and the involvement with uh, YMCA. So there's, you know, a lot of cool stuff. Heck yeah. But I have to tell you, I was super distracted by the thing you waved in front of the camera, which made me think regionally. Oh, you showed a bag yeah, from yeah. Powell's bookstore. That's right. I did do that. Earlier. And and that is such a huge draw uh, in the region. It is. Um, Love it. It's, it is a it is an amazing resource for the Pacific Northwest. It really is. Um, yeah. And it's been a, it's been a while since I've been there because lately my trips to uh, Oregon have been more kind of pinpoint, you know, going to meetings, not in Portland. And it used to be as soon as I got to Portland, my first stop was Fuller's uh, restaurant, which oh. is just a few blocks away from Powell's bookstore. I'd get there, go for a great breakfast, and they have the most amazing jam they make. It's just really awesome. So I, I usually would order just like, you know, a couple of eggs and a couple of strips of bacon and then, you know, extra toast. And then they bring you this this large, you know, kind of bowl or cup filled with jam. And I would just slather on that jam. It was really, really good jam. And that, well, that was the highlight. And so as soon as that would be, you know, I'd have breakfast, then Powell's would open up. And so I'd walk on over there and then spend the next two or three hours um, reading. Was super happy when they opened the coffee shop in there, you know, have some coffee. Um, then maybe go buy a book, but I'd just spend time like I'm in a library. And it was, I love it. it was fun just to see new authors that I hadn't, you know, encountered before. Yep. And for a while, I was using Powell's as um, as income to pay for uh, my gas. 
So I'd load oh. up the back of my car with a bunch of books that I oh, sure. don't read anymore. I'd take them over there and they'd pay me and it would cover my gas, you know, driving over there. It's like, oh, that's all right. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So yeah, there's that there it's an amazing region. Uh just we have deserts, we have, you know, I mean, the high deserts, we've got massive rivers, small creeks, snowy mountaintops, whether you're in the sawtooths in Idaho or Snoqualmie Pass over there around Seattle. I mean, this place is really kind of breathtaking. I love it. It's fantastic. Oh, it really is. Definitely. Now they do have, they've expanded, you know, to other locations around the Portland area. Yeah. I've been down to the one at ha- uh, on it's the on Hawthorne. Not quite the same. It, it feels it much more have... like, those ones feel much more like, uh, if you can, uh, Barnes and Noble filling, which is still well, fine. The, but the one, in, the one in Hawthorne though, feels a little bit more uh, uh, hippie artsy kind of. Oh, because, maybe I haven't been to uh, that one. Yeah, because on on the the Hawthorne district or area is kind of crunchy granola, you know. It's uh, it's it's kind of old school Portland where you think everybody's yeah. got beards and they're wearing flannel, kind of a thing. <laughs> you know, right. all the dogs all the dogs have bandanas. And, and the people <laughs> the people you think of when you think of the stay weird. Slogan yeah, of. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Except it's been much closer to pals that I, you know, first encountered the weird, which was yep. the fellow with the gorilla mask and the kilt running, riding a unicycle. <laughs> love it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. him lately though. So he's great. But yeah, that's but you're good. right. You're right. I yeah, I didn't see that fellow when we were down there. Uh, yeah, I wonder if he even has a, like a way you can find him. You know, like sometimes you yeah, can look up food trucks be. where they're parked. <laughs> I bet he's got, or at least I bet he had at one point some, uh, uh, an Instagram or something. I re- remember I had a young friend who had never been to Portland and she was all excited. Oh, going to Portland. I said, oh, cool. It's a, it's a, it's a fun place. And she got off the airplane and on the, on the 205 heading into the city, she saw the, um, the, the that guy, she saw, she saw the gorilla head uh, kilt unicyclist on the, just over the fence it. off the shoulder near the freeway. And she quickly sent me a text like, I saw this guy looking and she described it. And I said, yep, yep. That's, yep, that's you're in Portland. You're in Portland. <laughs> um, so I love it. I love it. So right, ice, uh, ice has been broken. Ice has been broken. Later on, we're going to have a uh, second half of our conversation with Angela Denker. Um, and good stuff. One, one thing that I want to give is just kind of like a little advertisement and I forgot to write this one down, but Angela Denker, uh, Pamela Cooper white, uh, and, um, drew straight, the three people who we've been talking to mm-hmm. together, they're going to be in a conference or not a conference, a seminar, uh, that's available through the associated Mennonite biblical seminary out of Elkhart, uh, Indiana. Oh, I love and that. They're also having uh, Brad Onishi from the uh, Straight White American Jesus Ooh. podcast, and his latest book is um, Preparing for War. And then I think they also have Andrew Whitehead going to be participating. And so it's a seminar. It covers a couple of weeks, uh, begins next week, perhaps, so after Easter, maybe. Uh, maybe it's it's something with a teeth, but I posted it on our on social media through the through the Twitter page. But, um, you know, it's amazing having those people together, but just, just so everybody would know we had them first, <laughs> except for Brad Anishi and, uh, Andrew Whitehead. So, um, I love it, but, uh, yeah, so it's kind of, a, it'll be a really great, uh, um, 
offering to go deeper and to have conversations with others about those topics. Yeah. And we'll put links in and have that also on social media. Fantastic. Fantastic. So well, one of the things happening just today, I mean, we uh -oh. are in Holy Week, uh -oh. right? Yes, Holy Week. And so it's just an amazing uh -oh. time for us to imagine the depth and uh, the the moving, um, you know, just humanity and uh, and passion that Donald Trump is going through. Uh, as <laughs> I, he, knew uh, say, I knew you were going to say something. <laughs> and so the, the, oh, the, come on. the associations of, of Trump as being like Jesus going to Jerusalem are being made fulfilled today on Tuesday. Uh, so he's actually several days early uh, to as go he, through. As he the, might say, he's he's several days better than. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, he's he's. Um, <laughs> oh so some gosh. of some of the voices in Christian nationalism in that MAGA world have likened his uh, persecution to that of Jesus. Um, that's which that's gross. Well, it's it is it is gross, and it's one of those things uh, that I find um, startling, <laughs> and then not surprising at all. Oh, right, um, you're not surprising, and, but still. And let me um, guess: was Marjorie Taylor Greene one of them? Actually, I don't think she was. I think okay. it popped up uh, through um, on the Truth Social uh, Boy app and came out through there. <clears throat> of course, but. Uh, of course. But I as soon think, as you started talking, I was like, "Oh no!" People I, are I going do to think, make I this do think the, the former president, I think, uh, um, highlighted that just a little bit, uh, gave it some push. But Alex. on a more serious note, you know, thinking again about resources and things to to stay in touch with what's going on. There's a there's a website or a Substack uh, website called um, Radical Reports, and um, Radical Reports is a collection of articles from different news sources that highlight some of the things that are going on in Christian nationalism. And it's also uh, has a global reach. So you mentioned earlier, one of the uh, fellows, um, Lecac, yep. Thomas Lecac, uh, who is a Canadian, I believe. And he also spends most of his time in Fran France. Maybe he's, maybe he's from the U.S., but he's also in France. And uh, then um, Annika... Brockschmidt, uh, the two of them wrote an article uh, recently that that was highlighted on um, Radical Reports, looking at the recent visit of Donald Trump to Waco, Texas. Oh, sure. He on the 30th, was it the 30th anniversary of the, the, oh, the, Waco. the fire and the Waco yeah. incident? But um, one of the things I, the one, one of the reasons that caught my eye is Annika Brock, Brock Schmidt, she was on the um, Straight White American Jesus podcast. And, you know, she's from Berlin. I mean, she's all the way on the other side of the world. And she's she is uh, interested in the topic of Christian nationalism because she has a, you know, as a journalist in Germany, there is, you know, lots of evidence of what happens when you have nationalism. And the 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 push in Germany to continue to resist nationalism over against the willingness of teachers, um, many politicians to highlight the memory of what nationalism was like with with monuments and museums and never again slogans, that kind of thing. Yep. Anyway, it was interesting when she noted that 
uh, uh, an interesting topic in Christian nationalism was Meridian, Idaho. Oh, <laughs> and it's like, wait, we made the news in Berlin. That's what? pretty exciting. Why? Because of the Christian nationalists who sought to disband our public library. Oh, sure. Because of LGBTQ <clears throat> uh, right. books okay. that they yeah. that they ident- identified. I forgot that that was also um, going but, on. Uh, but since but since that, I mean, it's like it's it's amazing that this has this kind of worldwide um, reach. Um, so I've been trying to follow her work. The thing is, she tweets almost exclusively in German, and I put it mm. through Twitter, Twitter Translate, and I think <laughs> most of the time it's okay. Uh, so, so. But so I'm hoping hoping that uh, I can get her book in in English. Uh, but it's she has a, a book on Christian nationalism from a from that German historical perspective that uh, I'd like to read, but I would have to take a couple of years of German to, to work my way through it. Wow. But the radical reports is a good sub stack to follow. Most, a lot of sub stacks, you got to give them five bucks a month or something like that yeah. to get the in-depth. <clears throat> but one of the things nice about uh, Teddy Wilson, who manages the the site, he does send out newsletter updates weekly that identify kind of as a digest different articles that you can jump into and other things you can find on on the internet so he there is a lot of free content that that um radical reports does distribute so it's a good place just to check in and see what else is going on i like it but the the other resource that i wanted to mention is a new book that i'm reading i'm only a quarter of the way through it and i'm just uh fascinated by it because it's a it's a look at, at nationalism but from somebody who is a diplomatic professional. I like it. And so he's somebody who served in the national security. He was a national security advisor, worked in the NSA uh, in the Obama, in the Bush and the Obama administration. He was a specialist in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, And so he has a global perspective. He has a perspective on theocracies and you can see how they function and how they work. Uh, theocracies uh, that you know have a strong nationalist. In fact, I don't think you can have a theocracy that's not nationalist. It's got, got and so he has that perspective. And his academic background is from Georgetown and Harvard. Um, and so he's he writes as an academic. But at the very beginning, he has a in his in his introduction to his his book. Uh, his book is, and I want to get the title right: "The Religion of American Greatness: What's Ooh. Wrong with Christian Nationalism?" Oh boy! And he states up front, "I am a conservative. I tend to be like a Republican, and I'm an evangelical." And yeah. then he has to clarify when he says evangelical, he says religiously understood. <laughs> and really and he wants to make sure he pulls himself out of that that political uh definition of that yep and so i just wanted to quote a few sections in his book because i think they're they're really good quotes uh for highlighting what this is uh what what he's trying to say he says being an evangelical religiously understood does not (laughs) lead one to enthusiastically support border walls with mexico Mm. favoring christian nationalism does Being an evangelical does not seem to sour Americans' attitudes towards stronger gun control legislation. Endorsing Christian nationalism does. Being an evangelical was not an important predictor of which Americans voted for uh, Donald Trump in 2016. Supporting Christian nationalism was. Yeah. 
Nationalism is the belief that humanity is divisible into mutually distinct, internally coherent cultural groups defined by shared traits like ethnicity, language, religion, or culture, that these groups should each have their own governments, that one of the purposes of government is to promote and protect a nation's cultural identity, and that sovereign nations with strong cultures provide meaning and purpose for human beings. So one of the things he's getting at is evangelicalism has these religious ideals that don't automatically put you into any one of these camps. Right. But Christian nationalism does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then when he goes on to expand on what nationalism is, I began to understand why there's that chant that comes out of uh, Nazis and neo-Nazis of blood and soil. Mm. And blood and soil means blood, you know, family. Uh, DNA, um, specific ethnicity, yep. soil, where we are, where we've been our for generation and generation and generation. Yeah. And so nationalism is built on those traits, these traits of language, ethnicity, religion, culture. And liberal liberalism, you know, from the political definition of liberal, meaning individual right. rights, um, yeah. things like that. Uh, from the you know, 16th, 17th century, the that sense of liberal philosophy. is about equality. Yep, it's about justice. Uh, it's a commitment to um, uh, kind of civil interaction, and so the difference is nationalism doesn't highlight civic virtues. Mm. It just is family. Yeah. And, you know, it's our, and our family's always right. So it's basically like a and mafioso so, kind of thing. Right. And so then any of those before, <clears throat> justice, ethics, morality become subjective to family, you know, us. So it is right to do these things in the family service to the family. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and it's, and it's all, I think it's further down than secondary. I mean, the first yeah. thing to oh, do yeah. for family is to support. Sure. You know, yeah. love it or leave it. That's, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> right. And if you, if you see an ethical misstep by that family member, well, don't say anything, you know, just, mm -hmm. you got to love it or leave it. Love it or leave it. <laughs> and, and so having that, having that distinction in nationalism is this idea of, you know, these, these concepts of, of democracy or representative democracy, as opposed to the idea of language, shared religion, you know, depth of, you know, generational traditions, you know, that go way, way, way back. Though, if, if, it, if, it's, if it's nationalism, there's no room for the newcomer. That's right. Um, unless they already have your language, religion, and are connected to your culture. So my hunch is nationalists, Christian nationalists, they're okay if you come from the UK. Sure. European. They're probably okay if you come from Germany. Right. You know, if you come from France, yeah, I don't know. They're, you know, <laughs> we, we'll work with it. Yeah, we'll work with it. <laughs> you know, so it does have that kind of European uh, Anglo connection. Yep. <clears throat> oh, wow. so I, I, I'm, order, I'm only a quarter way through his book and I'm just fascinated by it. And I, I think it's, it's really helpful for those who aren't, you know, theological progressives, you know, for those who do want to try and uh, reclaim that evangelical ideal that the you know to me the evangelical ideal is that god has spoken to us through jesus and jesus is the way that's where we find 
um, salvation, both for now and, you know, into the future. And the Bible is the way that God speaks to us, you know, and, and all those basic evangelical ideas, those are, those are fine. Mm -hmm. Um, and those things are generally abandoned in versions of Christian nationalism or so uh, skewed. They don't really sound familiar any longer. Yep. They no longer track with, yeah. I mean, they, they're the same words. There's an entirely different meaning to it though. Yeah. So, you know, in the future, when, when a Christian nationalist says, uh, happy Easter right. or talks about good Friday, they may think about Trump, you know, Trump checking himself into the, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, county jail and in, in willingly Manhattan submitting or... to the authorities like Jesus did. Yeah. Just like that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'll have links to that, that book and, uh, just really, uh, think it's a, a really good resource. No, oh, that's awesome. Good one. You find in so many good books, man. You know, I think that's one of the reasons I feel so busy is because I have You're been reading, <laughs> reading voraciously. <laughs> yeah, and something's uh, got to give I, when you decide to read. It's the truth. Well, you know, one one of the books that I uh, finished reading was really uh, enjoyed reading was uh, Tom Ord's latest book on death oh, of omnipotence. You've read that, and well, I, I got the yet. I got the I got the pre release. Uh, yeah. Copy. He, he asked me if and, I wanted one, and I I didn't even I forgot to even respond to him in email. So hopefully I can. So so, but I so I got his I got the word document, and you know mm-hmm. at least for the first uh, several chapters, I was able to make notes and send them back to him, and uh, didn't get that done for his concluding chapter. But just to say, uh, one of the things that you know, as we maybe begin to wrap up this conversation on Christian nationalism, or at least put it on hold. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to end it because it's going to keep going on in some ways is the, one of the next things that we want to talk about is are the issues or you know thoughts and subjects revolved uh, around um, open and relational theology amen and definitely Woo! that'll be a book that we'll want to uh, oh, jump yeah. into mm-hmm. so good stuff <clears throat> all right so we're um good good setup for angela dinker's the second half of her interview and here we go uh, I think pastors' hearts break over that because pastors feel that, right? Um, and that I think that hits home for a lot of people who see this discontinuity, perhaps between. I think it really go, does go back to that theology of glory, theology of the cross, and trying to create some open spaces for practicing the theology of the cross, and then it gets kind of pushed back. Yeah, there's that. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what what was that like? How did that emerge? And how does that? How do you look at that experience now, uh, in you know, afterward, after these last few years? Yeah, um, you know, I wrote um, the new sections of the 2022 edition of Red State Christians, uh, really like only a few weeks after um, my 43 year old brother in law died of COVID, and so I wrote from a place of grief. Um, And I think you can see that in the pages. Um, And at the same time, and and you see it in the conclusion as well. um, It was always, it was always a mix for me and it always has been. I think that's what, that's what we, I think a lot of people feel this way that, you know, our, our experiences of one another are mixed. Mm -hmm. They're not all good or all bad. Um, and many of us have political differences within our own families, and those have played out in a number of ways over the past years. Um, 
But I think so much of reporting that comes out about political polarization doesn't fully account for the pain or the grief um, within relationships that, that so many of us, and I'll say particularly so many white Christians, so many Midwesterners um, have experienced over these past few years. And so even as, you know, really, um, it really made me sad when these families left our church because I'd been in their homes, I'd visited them, I knew them. Um, I also experienced a tremendous amount of support from my church when my brother-in-law died. You know, there's a stone in front of our house that uh, church members got for us to remember him by. And so I see that all the time when it's not covered in snow. Yeah. Um, and when I, when I left my congregation um, a week ago, there was such a massive outpouring of love. And I think that really colored my experience in the high school too, because it was here I come where these high school students at church and teenagers were giving me goodbye gifts and taking photos with me and just like being so loving towards me and then coming to a place where I was viewed with such suspicion. Right. Um, yeah, so I think it, it's all of these experiences for me have been difficult, but I think very important in my writing and in the call that I have from God to just bring humanity to every piece of my storytelling and every piece of my faith. And for me, that's so fundamental to who I am as a Christian, because we worship a God who became human, a God who walked with us on earth because of that desire for deeper, deeper relationship. Um, so that's, you know, the work that I want to continue to do. And I think that it was really important to write about that grief and that pain, yeah. because I think, especially like you said, for pastors and for church leaders and for just everyday people, there's been a lot of that. And there hasn't been enough of a recognition of that pain or that grief that we've all been through and the ways it plays out. It seems like one of the things we do, because I don't know if we're with our relationships, we we make proclamations, we make mm -hmm. final statements. Um, mm -hmm. It's always conclusive, you know, mm -hmm. you're this, I'm that, and it's really drawing distinctions. Yeah. Whereas um, as you're talking about your experiences and also especially in, in the updated uh, version of your book with the, the beginning and the ending, it's being so personal and with so much grief. Mm -hmm. It's like when you get into the story mm -hmm. and when you tell stories, then it's then you begin to understand what's behind somebody's position. Mm -hmm. um, you know, dealing dealing with conflict. You know, we always talk about tell me your interests, not your positions. Mm -hmm. And then you open it up to stories. What are the things people value? And it seems like that's a place. What I hear from you, those are the places where you make these connections. Yeah. But as the the news keeps telling us, we're so terribly polarized that becomes the position statement and we don't understand what's really behind that and that maybe there's a lot more agreement or overlapping in our relationships than we are almost aware of we're, we're almost forgetting we have these overlapping areas mm -hmm. um, but how what would you tell a pastor hey i'm in this place you know is it a matter of matter of pastoral formation know who you are understand your calling who you are as a pastor and nurture that is it a cross-cultural kind of awareness, like a missiologist who says, okay, you're going someplace where they don't say the things the, the same way you do. 
and you have to understand what's going on. Um, you know, is it as a storyteller, you just want to go in and hear more stories. And I mean, in some ways, that's kind of one of the greatest pastoral gifts is letting people be heard. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, how would you, what, what would you tell a pastor? Hey, you got, you, you're, you're going to go pastor in um, someplace that's different than where you have lived or where you grew up. Um, don't just say good luck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that what I've seen, especially over the last few years in working with other pastors, um, and you know, we're not talking about Joel Osteen here. We're talking about, <laughs> right. you know, minister out there serving right. a mid-sized to probably smaller congregation. Um, which is, but, which is the statistical average. I mean, right. the average church size in the United States, I believe is around 67 to 70 right. people. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the vast majority of pastors. Um, so what I've really found is that I think, um, pastors really are in need of support and of love and of affirmation. And so one of the first things that I would say is just like, be proud of yourself and the work you're Mm -hmm. doing, because it's really important work. Um, just this past Sunday, I did a book event, ironically, you know, about 15 minutes from the church where I had served, it it was pre-planned. And so I didn't plan on going like right the next weekend, but that was the way the timing worked out. Um, so kind of similar demographics, slightly larger town. Um, but it was such an encouraging event. And, you know, I had multiple people there who kind of like said they didn't know what to expect, like politically from the book. And, you know, there were conservatives, there were liberals, there were, you know, people all over in between. There was some concern, but from the event organizers, because this is a city that had, you know, seen some political violence in the past, um, but we didn't fortunately see any of that. Um, but I was just so encouraged by people's willingness to really talk and to be open about what they'd experienced with their families and what they were looking for. And um, I think that that's the local church. Where else does that kind of thing really happen a lot besides local churches? Um, and I even thought this too, when, you know, in Minnesota, we make a big deal out of our state fair. And so this year I took my family to the state fair and one of the best, the state fair was totally packed this year. You couldn't park anywhere. All the parking lots were over full. And so the only way you could really go to the state fair is if you like went to a parking lot and then took a state fair bus to the state fair. Well, the vast majority of these parking lots were in local churches. (laughs) And again, you know, I just think, um, I hear so much like, oh, you know, we're losing members, our attendance is dropping, we're not, you know, our youth group is small, we don't do what we used to do. And I just think in general, people, whether they're leaders or congregation members, just need to hear like, the work you're doing is really important. The work you're doing is really important. You're creating spaces for community in, pl- in a time and in places where community is desperately needed. Um, and so I think that's the number one thing is just this encouragement of your work is vital. Your work matters. You're doing something really important because, um, we don't value ministry with money. We don't value ministry with respect. You know, it's, there's a lot of parallels between that and being a teacher and talk about, yeah, really, yeah. um, and so I think there's just this need for 
for affirmation and support um, rather than heaping. I mean, pastors have had to endure just an onslaught of of consultants over the past 30 years of like, do this this way, you do this this way. No, this is what you should do. I mean, I've just had enough of all that. Let's just say, you know, you guys are doing the best you can and affirm them. I always tried to be that kind of consultant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I mean, like I've been in that that place. Oh, too. I know. Yeah. 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 I think that that makes a difference. You know, pastors, if they do feel um, just put upon, burdened, um, if they keep on telling themselves whatever the voice is in their head, you know, don't matter. They won't like you. Uh, you're inconsequential in the community. Um, it will make it very difficult to listen somebody into wholeness to hear a story that's that might that that's different than the the assumptions you carry you carry uh, it could be oh i'm already feeling put upon i'm going to be defensive and i'm not going to listen to those outside voices i'm going to tell them what's right yeah and i think i you know i served three previous calls as a pastor before coming to this most recent call and one thing that I think shifted for me that really helped me as a pastor in this call was that I had a much stronger sense of my own identity going into this call. So I know when I first started as a pastor, my identity was so tied up with the church's identity. And I've seen this in a lot of pastors, especially pastors who have really had quote unquote successful ministries or large churches. Um, when you let your identity be tied up so much in the church, it, it makes you vulnerable to you know, one kind of being hesitant to use a prophetic voice and two also just being very unstable emotionally. Mm. Um, and so I think I came into this call knowing much more about like who I was and just being much more willing to say, I'm coming here to baptize and to preach and to be with you at the hospital and to be with you, you know, in times of death and times of need. Um, and I had other vehicles like for my prophetic public ministry too. So I wasn't thinking that all of my, I wasn't thinking that my church could meet all the needs of what I wanted mm. to do in ministry. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was really helpful too. That's really interesting. I think that's a great point. You know, uh, yeah. as a multivocational pastor myself, I don't have to say everything that's important to my right. church. I get to, I get to like, you know, burden my students with it <laughs> who right. sign up for my, my, my courses. Um, I, as you were just describing that or discussing uh, that, that, that um, mentality, that spirit, it made me think about, you write about being in Orange County, uh, pa pastoring there, as opposed to, pa and then I was thinking, well, as opposed to your most recent pastoral experience, um, you're not the same person, uh, I'm, I'm sure. Um, what would it be like if you went back to Orange County, um, even back to that community in which you were serving, you know, as you described it, what, what would be different? How would you navigate that? And if you want to describe Orange County a little bit, you know, here, here we call it pre-Idaho. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. where most of our, most of our uh, imports come from. Um, I bet that's, that's fascinating. That doesn't surprise me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and that's been another important like piece of work too, you know, that work, that I do of like translating or bringing new, because a lot of people in my most recent congregation 
when they had heard that I had served in Southern California, you know, they assumed I was at some, they're like, oh, that must've been very progressive like that. <laughs> you know, they assumed I was at some wacky church. Yeah. Um, and I had to explain to them, no, I, you know, Orange County is actually, even though recently the county as a whole has shifted politically, white evangelical Orange County, which is where I was, um, is still very conservative um, and very Republican and, you know, very um, centered and steeped in Christian popular culture. Uh, but anyway, I, I've stayed in close touch with the pastor who I worked with when I was in Orange County. Um, and they, that, that church has, has changed a lot too since I was okay. there. You know, I think um, a lot of congregations that were sort of purple um, and sort of tenuously held together um, were torn apart in the last few years. And right. um, so like their, their staff has shifted a lot. When I was there, a lot of the staff came from the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. And it was a staff that was, you know, heavily evangelical, not as many like Lutherans on the staff. Um, and a lot of that has changed since then. Uh, but I, I will say every single place that I have served has been a huge gift in a different way. Um, and just this week I wrote earlier this week about love and I had a picture of the pastor who I worked with in California, um, baptizing my son in that. Mm. And so a lot of people from that church had, had read that piece and had sort wow. of gotten back in touch or, um, and when I was packing up my office, I saw how the, the preschool there had written me all these notes. Um, one of the gifts of Orange County in contrast to the Midwest is people were very effusive. <laughs> there was much more <laughs> acceptance of like expressing your emotions. Right. So I was very used to people just being expressive and sharing, you know, their gratitude or their love. And in Minnesota, um, people just don't really comment on sermons. And I knew yeah. they liked my preaching and I thought it was I mean, a there's a, preacher. there's a Minnesota nice. It fills yeah. the whole great place. I remember when it yeah. was in Kansas. Yeah. 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 Minnesota nice means that you'll give somebody directions to anywhere except for your own house. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I do, I think so much has shifted over the past few years. Um, but I think that, you know, I've also said that I think because of the work that I've done publicly and as a writer and some of the speaking work I've done, it would be very difficult for me to serve as like a number two pastor in a lot mm. again, um, just because pastors are weird about, you know, who, who's number one, who's number two. Um, yeah. and the pastor I worked with there was incredibly gracious and incredibly giving. Um, so that was, but I think, you know, I probably would not take another a second pastor call again. I don't know. Never say never, but <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing you would want to be preaching every week. I mean, it's just like a, it's a weird day. I think it's a weird dynamic as a woman. I mean, and, um, a lot of times, you know, male pastors have been there for a long time. They'll want to bring on a younger woman in that number two role. And it just creates, I've seen some dynamics with it that I don't love. So yeah. Um, yeah another topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, maybe uh, starting to wrap some things up, but you know, one of the thoughts in my mind is in that, in that uh, section from the preface, you know, it's, it's mentioned about, you know, you preach too much about social justice or whatever, mm -hmm. um, or that it's always the sense of discontent. And that's kind of a prophetic voice, you mm -hmm. know, and sometimes that is necessary. Mm -hmm. And I know sometimes I'll get on a, 
theme and I'll probably just, just ride that horse to death, you know? Um, and I think it's something kind of that, that homiletical, there's a, like a nerve that gets triggered in preachers and can't, yeah. How do we, how do we soften that? How do we, how do we alter that? How do we move it from discontent to visions of hope or, but not, but don't give up on the topic. Um, you know, is there, is there some tips or some pointers on preaching as part of that pastoral voice? Cause sometimes the preaching becomes exclusively a prophetic voice mm-hmm. and there's, there's definitely a need for both, but how do you, how do you approach those different voices? Yeah. I mean, I definitely knew. So first of all, I do really value the sermon. I'm like maybe an old school Lutheran in that way. Um, but I, and so I'm careful about how I use prophetic voice during sermons. And that, that section that I talk about in the preface, I did that before the service began. That was not a part of the sermon. Um, and that was a purposeful choice just because, um, I am particular about how I use the sermon and how I use other parts of the service. And I'm always, you know, telling pastors too, if there's a, 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 an event or a current event or a news story that you want to mention, you make sure you don't neglect to do that in the prayers as well and find ways to pray for things. Um, so it doesn't always have to be hitting people over the head in the sermon, I think. But then there's also times too, where I think the longer you've been preaching and the more experience you have, you can, you know, when to listen to that voice that says, this is for the sermon this week, this does go in there. Um, and then there'll be other weeks when, you know, I had, I've like used country songs in my preaching before. And I knew like some of those songs, people in the congregation would feel like, oh yeah, like we know this song. We like this song. And at this point of connection um, or certain other story, I mean, sports stories have been a great, you know, thing for me to use in that way too. Of just like knowing where people are going to find points of connection. And I always try throughout the sermon to sort of sprinkle in points for people to reconnect. Like maybe as people have kind of gotten lost, drifted off, then there's this point where they can find their way back in because that's going to happen. People (laughs) drift off. So helping them to find ways to plug back in at different points of the message. Preachers drift off too. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, never. We we, we need those things to come back to. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, well, I really appreciate you spending time uh, to talk, uh, discuss this topic and, um, I really look forward to what you're going to continue to do. I have the feeling, even regardless of what you write on as a journalist, I may hear it in a preaching voice Mm -hmm. uh, in in many ways, because whether it's explicitly or not, I, I, I reading your writing, I always feel that um, the beauty of Christ's uh, peace and community uh, is always right there. It's, it's in that. So definitely appreciate your work. Thank you. So thank you for this time. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll probably, you know, who knows, be in touch uh, from time to time. Sounds good. Yeah. You guys come find me on Substack, uh, send me a message and look forward to being in touch. All right. Thank you. We made our families proud.
Another good word. And that was a song called Mars by Sleeping at Last. Yeah. And from an album called Atlas One. And Atlas One. The, the, I mean, to me, the the image of Mars as that Mars god of war. war. Mm-hmm. And then just saying, can't we just lay our weapons down? Um, can't we just Voice stop calm. this? Oh, so, yeah. It's kind of a it's kind of a uh, haunting beautiful song uh of uh just a wish <laughs> yep so a whisper faintly whispered <clears throat> wish of hope yeah so uh, coming com- coming up in these conversations around um um christian nationalism mm-hmm. uh, we we have one conversation that was recorded earlier this uh week no last week with a quaker and part of the conversation is what happens when you have a sectarian group that really doesn't fit like anybody else. They're not part of mainline, you know, right. Christianity or evangelicalism. You got Quakers and they're really kind of the weird quiet people, you know? And so have, have a conversation with a friend, Colin Saxton, who has experience as a, a pastor in uh, denominational leadership and also working with churches globally and have a conversation with him, which includes just a short little piece that I thought was kind of important to get to. What does it mean to live under a theocracy as in the experience of the colonial United States? Right. And so uh, we talk a little bit about the Boston martyrs who were a group from Massachusetts killed because they were Quakers. And uh, it's kind of a, just an important thing to think about uh, in this idea of Christian nationalism and theocracy. Yeah. There's and, been a and lot of a, victims. And then <laughs> an upcoming conversation will be with another group that has a, a, a person who speaks as a, as an individual, but also represents a group of people who've suffered under theocracy of another style. And uh, Sarah Augustine is a indigenous rights advocate and writer. And we'll be speaking with her and doing some recording with a conversation with her. And she's working with projects to dismantle the doctrine of discovery. Mm. And if you think of indigenous people, they've kind of suffered under a theocracy, uh, you know, in, in, in this country, um, under, under, uh, they've had a completely different experience. 
um, of mm. what American democracy is supposed to be about from, you know, an ideal perspective. Well, they've, they've seen the other side. That's right. Oh, wow. Heavy stuff, but good. Need to know. Need to know those things. We have to reckon with those things. We do. We do. And we do need to to wrap up our conversation because we're running out of time. We <laughs> we got on late because just what digital what? life was not working. The same stuff going on. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, well I want to close it. Close closing question. I want, you know, I'll let you know, just, just, okay. As much time as you've got. Okay. Did you watch more women's final four or <laughs> men, more men's final four? I watched more women's final four. Yay. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, it was exciting. So yeah. somebody made a comment and I ha- and I I didn't really think about this, but women's basketball in the, at the college level has a lot more of what we kind of think of classic basketball, like fundamentally sound post up ball going on. There still is a lot of long shooting. That's a big part of the game. In fact, Caitlin Clark, right, shooting deep, but they still have active key components in the post game that that uh, do yep. a lot of stuff yep. yeah well one of the things i've always enjoyed about watching women's basketball is the um and i don't know this for a fact but my hunch is that the statistics for assists is a lot higher it yeah. just seems a lot more passing setting up and yep. you know precision of yep. setting up formations yep and uh have always enjoyed it for that for that reason um and what was really cool is, that if I'm not mistaken, the contract with perhaps with ABC was coming to an end, mm. and they had their championship game on ABC, and their championship or their final maybe the total audience for their final four and championship was larger than the yeah. men's final yeah. four and, and championship nine point nine million viewers or something like that. It's it you know as as somebody who coaches young women, it's like so grateful that you know people are tuning in. Yep. And, and, you know, looking at this as this is just good athletics. I don't just care if, the, if they're taller, shorter, slower, yep. ball, you know, whatever, that doesn't matter. It's just yep. good athletics, good, solid basketball. It was good. Yeah. Uh, it was fun. It was fun to watch in both instances, though. I noticed this um, and this is true, of course, in the NBA as well, but everything is also just faster these days. So much faster. Like yeah. you get way more possessions. Um, uh, even scoring 102 points for the women's basketball, you know, I can remember watching. Oh, that was, that was, <laughs> and that was a what? rarity to even get close to 100. There was like 50 point games. That that championship <laughs> score for the women was insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, won't but, get into all the issues about fouls being called and sure. you know, all that, mm-hmm. but you know, because some was kind of weird going on, perhaps, <laughs> but. You know, 15, 15, 17 point spread at the end. Yeah. At 102.85. Those are both huge scores. <laughs> big, big scores. Yeah. Yep. 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 No, but it was both were fun. Both were fun. I enjoyed both. But yeah, the women's basketball was just, it was good. Yeah. Good. Legendary yeah, performances. And maybe I'll stick a little pro, uh, a little promo in the, in the show notes. If you really want to know more about women's sports, uh, follow the gist podcast oh and uh they have a newsletter but they're two uh women who talk about uh sports all sports but they really focus on what's going on with the men and women because it's so often overlooked right doesn't um, get a lot of it's a really right. really great podcast oh that's awesome good good 
good to share. Thank you. All right. Well, all right. That's you it. Got, you got places to go. Uh, I got to run. Do. Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. I'm going out to, I'm going to go meet someone for lunch in another town. That sounds good. I, I just got to, I just got to figure out how to talk about uh, Dick Hart's uh, meditations <laughs> in about 15 minutes for a lecture. I have oh, uh, holy cow. So, tomorrow. So it's like, okay, <laughs> have fun with that. <laughs> I know I will. <laughs> so it will. Once you get going, you'll be like, oh yeah, I could talk about this forever. Right? Right. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Maybe you don't feel the but, same way. No, it'll be great. It okay. will be great. So <laughs> there oh, we go. Funny. Okay. See ya. Adios. Bye. <laughs>